going to try to preach without my notes, apparently. Didn't think that was a good idea. Um, this morning, as the kids and youth go to the back, um, I love Sundays like this because it kind of forces me to go back to the church calendar. Um, so today is Pentecost Sunday, and I think one of the things that I love about Sundays like this is it reminds us of who the church is. I think we grew up in um, a Western culture and society that thinks faith is about me and mine, or me and Jesus. Or we grew up with a, a setting to say faith is about Harrisburg BIC, or, or even America, right? But Pentecost Sunday reminds us that the church is this multifaceted organism, and it's beautiful. The first thing it reminds us is that we are a worldwide church. That the same God who's the God of Harrisburg is the same God who's the God of Harare. The same God who's president in Bogota, Colombia is the same God who's president in Bolivia and Beijing. It's the same God of this whole world that's present. So Pentecost is this reminder to us of who God is and why that's important. And that our God is the God of this global, worldwide church, not just this local body. Just like the God is the God of you, but also all of us. So it's global and it's worldwide. But it also reminds us, though, that it's historic. Right? We are celebrating today something Christians have celebrated for thousands of years. That is, that God is a God who fills, fulfills promises. That God is a God who comes down from heaven to earth. That God is a God who lives inside of us and transforms us. And they have been celebrating that for thousands of years. And a lot of people bemoan all the differences in Christianity with denominations. And I used to. Then I realized that's not really good for anyone. Like, that doesn't do anything complaining, right? But what I started to realize is that how amazing is our God that however you need to see God to understand who God is, God's willing to be that for you. Like, that is literally the antithesis of most other faiths, right? Like, they all want to, like, conform you to believing this and that and that. But God says, if this is what you need to believe to believe in me, I will let you come into the kingdom, and I will worry about transforming you then, right? So it's this reminder that this historic church, right, we're both Catholic and Orthodox and Pentecostal and, 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 and Protestant and Anabaptist, but we are one. And Pentecost is a reminder that God is the same God who comes down, and God is the same God to the Pentecostal and the Protestant, to the Anabaptist and the Catholic, to the Orthodox, to the African, to the South American, to, yes, even us, the North Americans, right? So we have not only a global and worldwide faith, we have a historic faith that's existed for thousands of years. But the thing I think I've appreciated this year when we come to Pentecost Sunday, though, is that we are also not only the church of today, but we're also the church of tomorrow. Because the kingdom of heaven is coming, but it's already come. And you'll see that time and time again in Jesus' teaching. Jesus is obsessed with this idea that the kingdom is coming, but it's already come. So we celebrate Pentecost Sunday because the things that the church has remembered on this day are the same things we'll remember today, are the same things that they'll remember tomorrow. Everyone who ever believes will also celebrate this Pentecost Sunday. And so this morning, we're going to talk about Pentecost, looking and actually following the example of Jesus. Years ago, my friend Paul and I were having this conversation about the genius of Jesus, right? And we're talking about how Jesus is a genius. It's amazing, I know, right? But one of the things we kept coming back to is that part of Jesus' genius is it exists in his ability to start where we are, right? And then take us to where God desires us to be. And we see this all the time. You see this in his sermons and teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, right? You have heard it said this. But I say this. You think this is love, but I say this is love. You think it's about your actions, but I say it's also about what you think, your intent, and what you, int what you want to do, right? You think it's about this, but I really say it's like this. So he'll always start with what you understand and add on to it. You see this in his conversations, right? Nicodemus, we've been talking about for a couple weeks. He's like, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel. Like, 
you're a Jew. When people who aren't Jewish come into the Jewish faith, what do we call them? Born again. When people who aren't Greek come into Greek families, what do we call them? Born again. How can you not understand when I say when you come into my family, you are born again? His ability to start with what we understand and grow it is what makes Jesus amazing. You see it also in the parables, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Everyone in that culture would have been like, yeah, I know mustard. Like it starts off small and it grows and it goes all over the world. And Jesus is like, yeah, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And then you can almost see everybody in the audience goes, oh, right? And that's who Jesus is. His ability to start where we are and to take us where he desires us to be. So when we think of Pentecost, you know, my friend Paul was saying in this conversation was like, so what if Jesus is serious? And I was like, well, I feel like Jesus is serious. What are you talking about in particular? And he's like, no, 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 no. We talk about the Lord's Prayer. And I was like, oh, I got this. You know, the Lord's Prayer, we all take it. But he's just teaching us how to pray, not like this is a special prayer. This is just how to pray. He goes, no, 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 not that either. What if Jesus was serious about this idea of on earth as it is in heaven? What if we're not just supposed to dream of heaven to come? What if we're not just supposed to be like, oh, when I get to heaven, it's going to be so great. What if heaven is not just the idea of like everyone being one nation, one tribe, one tongue, everyone coming together, and it'll be great in the future. What if Jesus was serious that he really wants heaven on earth? What if Jesus was serious that the kingdom isn't just coming, but it's already here? What if Jesus was serious about on earth as it is in heaven? And the reason this is important is because the core centerpiece of Jesus' teaching is the kingdom. Now, if you ask the poll of people, not you guys, because you're H-break people and you're scholars now, you know this, right? The core teaching of Jesus is the kingdom, right? But if you ask other Christians, what's the core of Jesus' teaching? You might get some really good wrong answers like love, right? You might get some really good long answers like how to live to please God, right? You might get some really good long ans wrong answers like, you know what? Sacrifice. Because look at how he sacrificed us. But no, the core tenet, the centerpiece, and I think all those things I just mentioned, if you add them up, I don't think they touch how much he talks about the kingdom. Jesus' core teaching was about this kingdom. And the core understanding that he wanted you to have is the kingdom is coming, but it's already here. So then our question becomes, what do we do in this main time of this in-between? What is the current kingdom work? And I think the current kingdom work is what? Living for tomorrow, today. Living for that kingdom that's coming today. If heaven always comes down, right? If heaven always comes down, then our current work is to what? Make heaven evident in our everyday scenes. Gordon Fee says it like this. We are a community that live lives of the future in the present. That's what it means to do kingdom work. That's what it means to be the church. That we don't just dream of heaven that we make on earth as it is in heaven. That we don't just tell people about God's love, but through us they may know what God's love feels like. That we don't just point people to Jesus, but we're transformed by the Holy Spirit so that when they see us, they can glorify our Father in heaven. When they see us, they can see what Jesus has done. When they see us, they can be convicted by the Holy Spirit to believe. So we talk about Pentecost. We think about on earth as it is in heaven. When we go back to this day in Acts chapter 2, I think it's important for us to realize that on earth as it is in heaven isn't just Jesus being serious. It is actually the DNA of the church. I, I, I aced biology, you know, but I was like almost 20. Oh, wow, that's over 20 years ago. I, I think I'm younger than I am, you know. 
But in biology, some of us are introduced to this idea of DNA, right? And on a very basic level, DNA is present in all living organisms. We as the church are alive. So what is our DNA? The second thing is DNA is really the main constituent of your chromosomes. It's like the carrier of your genetic information, right? So it's the essence of who you are. So what we're saying this morning is that on earth as it is in heaven isn't just a dream, isn't just an ideal. It's the essence of who we are. So if we're not reflecting the essence of who we are, if we're not working for the essence of who we are, I think it's only fair that Jesus himself can ask us, are we being his church or our own? Because the essence of who we are is on earth as it is in heaven. And the other thing about DNA, and you'll see this time and time again when heaven comes down, is that it's also self-replicating material. Which means that on earth as it is in heaven isn't just the essence of who we are, but it must be what we're living to replicate. And you'll see that in your faith. That when Jesus blesses you, it's not really just for you. When Jesus gifts you, it's not really just for you. When Jesus loves you, it's not really just for you. The essence of what we are, of who we are, is on earth as it is in heaven. And are we living out our essence? But even more than that, and maybe secondary to that or in addition to that, is are we, are we replicating that essence to our world? I think that's the story of Pentecost. Pentecost is Jesus and Luke telling the story through the lens of the apostles to tell us, like, y'all, this is who we are. But is this who we're living to be? If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 1 to 13. Acts 2, 1 to 13. We'll also have it up front so you can follow there as well. Starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire to separate and they came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues that the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much that on this day of Pentecost, we remember the first day of Pentecost, where your Holy Spirit came down, where the promise that Jesus made to us and to his church was fulfilled. We thank you that the essence of your church is a multicultural kingdom. We thank you that the essence of your church is making not only space, but making home for every single nation, every tribe, every tongue. We thank you that the essence of your church is not just dreaming of heaven to come, but it's making on earth as it is in heaven. So God, help us today to live lives of tomorrow. Help us to not only know the kingdom is coming, but to know that the kingdom is here. And Holy Spirit, empower us 
Lord Jesus, keep our eyes fixed on you. Father, hold us as we attempt to bridge this gap, as we attempt to live lives that make on earth as it is in heaven possible, as we attempt to bring heaven down to earth in our everyday scene, as we attempt to live so that our world may see and glorify our Father in heaven, to love so our world may know that Jesus is love, and to shine so our world may know that the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us is alive and transformative and life-giving. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen. Now the backdrop of what's happening in Acts chapter 2 is very, very important. And the backdrop is that Jesus' earthly work has been done. The one who was, who was living in radiance has now taken on skin and entered into this time and place. The one who's outside of time, the one who created time, has now entered into a specific place. Jesus is born and he comes into the world. Jesus lives to show us how to live and please God. Jesus loves to show us the transformative power of God's love, not only in us, but in our world. Jesus goes to Calvary's tree, and he died on the cross to show us that even the blood that flowed there matters even more than the blood that flows in our veins. That family is not just who we're related to on this earth, but family is every single one who believes in Jesus Christ. And then he's resurrected. And after he's resurrected, we know that on the cross, God said, Jesus says it is finished. God said the work has been accomplished. I raised him up. But then most of us think he's resurrected. And then it's like, oh, maybe a couple of days, then he goes up to heaven. But in Acts, Luke tells us that actually what happens is that for 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus is teaching the apostles. So for us, we have to kind of take a step back and realize that Paul himself says the resurrection might actually be the most important thing in Christianity. Because if there is no resurrection, we are fools. If there is resurrection, if there's no resurrection, we actually don't believe in anything that's alive. We have no hope for people who died. We have no hope in Jesus. The resurrection is important. But I think it's interesting that even after this important resurrection, you would think people would be like, oh, he's raised, we're all good now. Jesus spends 40 days intentionally teaching his disciples. And you know what he's teaching them about? Not love, not how to live, but the kingdom. He's teaching them about the kingdom. And the whole time during those 40 days, he's promising them a helper. The Greek calls it paraclete. We call it the Holy Spirit. Jesus is promising help to come. And in the midst of this kingdom talk, in the midst of this promise of the Holy Spirit to come, the disciples, because, you know, we're human. We tend to be selfish sometimes. It's like, but Jesus, kingdom, cool. Helper, Holy Spirit, we don't know what that is, but that's cool too. Are you going to restore Israel? You know, like, is it our time to shine now, right? And Jesus says this in Acts chapter 1. It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set apart by his own authority. Your worry, your work, your job now is what? to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you see, even before the Spirit comes down, Jesus is pointing these apostles to know that my kingdom is you living for me locally, but also globally. That my kingdom isn't just for you and your glory, it's for the world. That it's not even about you. It's about what God desires to do in the world through you. And so that's the backdrop of all that's going on. So Jesus then ascends into heaven. Matthias is chosen to replace Judas. And we have about 120 people, according to Acts chapter 1, who are waiting, or, or at least they're, they're patiently waiting for this coming of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's important. 
Because Jesus spoke to easily tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. Because you got to look at some of these stories closely, right? Like, it's like Jesus fed 5,000, but not including women and children. For me, I'm like, why? Like, is it just too hard to count? Or did you just be like, yeah, 5,000, good enough, right? Like, Jesus spoke to tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, right? Of those hundreds of thousands, we can estimate that maybe hundreds really believed, right? Of the hundreds that believed, we know he sent out 72. Of the 72 he sent out, we know he discipled 12. Of the 12 he discipled, we know he had an inner circle of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Of that inner circle, we know John's his best friend. But all of that pales in the comparison because all those tens of thousands and hundreds, after the resurrection, after the 40 days, after he ascends, we only have about 120 who are holding on. I think that's important for us to hold on to a little bit this morning. Because on Pentecost, we're quick to jump to the thousands who heard and the thousands who went out. But Jesus and God seem to think it's important for the 120 who held on. That it's important for those who stayed faithful to him. That it's important for those whose names we don't even know, but they're counted in that number. I think that's the beauty of Pentecost, is that it comes for the world, but it comes to the faithful. So of these 120, they're awaiting. Another important thing about the backdrop is that this is actually a very intentional thing about God, right? We saw this on Jesus coming in on the triumphant, um, when he comes in on, on the day of, uh, I was going to say Pentecost, but it's not Pentecost. When he comes in, it's like Passover weekend, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, right? It happened to be one of the three major festivals. This one, they were celebrating Passover, which is when they think back to when God saved them out of slavery in Egypt. God redeemed them. God took them to the promised land. So Jews would come from all over the world, and they would dwell in Jerusalem for that week. And that's when Jesus comes into town. Pentecost is the same thing. They had three festivals. They had uh, the Festival of Tabernacle, a Passover, and then what became Pentecost we call the Festival of Weeks. So again, Jews from all over the known world would come and assemble in Jerusalem. So I think it's very, very brilliant by our God that he's like, you know what? If y'all going to all come here to, to find out about me or to come and worship me, I'm going to give you something to take out into your world. I think that's the message of Pentecost that we sometimes miss, right? That when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it's not for us only. That when the Holy Spirit is revealed to us, it's not just so you can be a better Christian and you can be transformed. It's so you can take what the Holy Spirit has given you and take it out into your world. Because only you can reach the people you can reach. Only you has the relationship that you have. Only you can, can, can literally live and, and represent God to the people you live and represent God in front of. So on Pentecost, what happens here is all these people have gathered. And the thing about the Festival of the Weeks is that it was a harvest festival. And reading more about this has actually kind of transformed how I think about Thanksgiving. Because their Thanksgiving was twofold. It was praise God, thank you God, for literally providing a harvest. For being our God who's a provider and we can eat this year. But you know, the other side of that Thanksgiving was also a pledge to keep trusting God. So Thanksgiving wasn't just praise, it was also worship. Thanksgiving wasn't just thank you, it was also I trust you. Because the other side of the festival of the weeks was, God, thank you for providing this harvest. And God, thank you, I can keep relying on you to keep providing the harvest. God, thank you for these blessings. But God, thank you that I can still trust you to keep blessing and carrying me. And I love that. And that's what's going on in this passage. So 50 days after Passover, they come in and they celebrate the festival of the weeks, the festival of the, the harvest. But the other thing about Luke is Luke is also kind of brilliant. 
And the thing that Luke does kind of maybe not, in, well, I would say intentionally, but you see the undercurrent is that Luke is also talking to people who knew the Jewish faith. Now, on Passover, when they talked about the Exodus, they had this tradition where they also understood that part of that Exodus journey was what? Moses going up the mountain and coming down with the law, which would teach people how they live to please God. And Luke seems to be having that as the background. And he also says that, huh, isn't it interesting that Jesus goes up and the Spirit comes down to show us what? How to live to please God. And Luke presents this story about Pentecost, not just as this miracle of people hearing it in their own language, but to present the fact that on earth as it is in heaven, a nation or a country or, or whatever we think our, our individual loyalty to is all superseded by being the church. Because we are the church of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And we've always been that from the beginning. Luke says on earth as it is in heaven, that's your essence, that's your call, that's what you should be living to reproduce. So Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit, and now the Holy Spirit comes down. Jesus, in giving us the Holy Spirit, reminds us that it's not just for us, it's not just for our gifts, it's not just for our upbringing and feeling better as Christians, but it's actually for the world. And it's this reminder that our stories, that our experiences, that our gifts, our skills, our abilities, that the essence of who we are don't primarily belong to us. When we choose to follow Jesus, we submit all those things to God. And God uses, yes, our stories and experiences, but also our gifts, our skills and abilities. He uses it for the world. And all those things get to be almost on steroids because they're now empowered by the Holy Spirit that's able to take all those things and transform them not only into worship, but to tell other people about who God is. So on Pentecost, you have, yes, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. But let's not forget that as they gathered upon Jerusalem, it was Jews from all the known Jewish nations at the time. Let's not forget that heaven is not just about, you know, we're going to put the Protestants over there, the Catholics over there, the Orthodox in the middle holding us together, right? We're going to put the Southern Baptists way in the back. Oh, my bad. I didn't mean to say that out loud, but I did. Put the Southern Baptists way in the back, and we, the Anabaptists, are going to be up front. That's how we're going to do it, right? But no, heaven is about all of us being in this one place. And as Jerusalem is cosmopolitan during the Festival of the Weeks during Pentecost, I want us to, like, go back on Google or maybe go to Wikipedia this afternoon and look up some of these places that's mentioned in Acts chapter 2. Because when you see God is not only bringing all these people together, but he's already working in the world. Because if you go to the northeast, you'll see Parthia and Mesopotamia. And if you go to the west, you'll see Rome. And if you go to the south, you'll see Arabia, yes, but you also go down into Egypt, into Libya. And it's this reminder to us. That even when we don't see it, God is already at work in the world. And even if we don't see it, God is already bringing the world together, yes, but to send the world out. And that's the true message of Pentecost. Yeah, they came and they heard a great sermon by Peter. I think it's probably outside the Sermon on the Mount, the number two greatest sermon in all the Bible because it changed the world forever, right? Jesus got to get default number one, you know, Sermon on the Mount. But as they hear this message, they all take it back to their world. And that's a challenge to us, because it's a challenge to us, because the, 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 the implication that Luke is making here is that when God blesses you, you're not meant to keep it. That when God gifts you, you're not meant to sit on it. Every experience that you go through, God wants you to give that to him and to help him redeem it, because as he redeems it, he'll then send people who go through that same experience that you are supposed to help. 
And that's the implication here is that, yeah, we come on Pentecost, we're filled by the Spirit, but we take it home. And I love that the birth of the church is not just this great church that's built in Rome or built in Jerusalem. It's actually people going out and going back to their neighborhoods, their cities, their communities, and sharing what God has done for them. And these God-fearing people heard Jesus or hear the works of God in their own language. I think for those of us in America, those of us in the West, that doesn't really hit us as much, you know? For those of us who come from different cultures, you're like, yeah, I love that because I can, I, I can imagine hearing God in my love language or, or my heart language. For most of the world, though, this is incredible. Like for people who speak eight or nine languages, that God would choose the one that they grew up in, their birth language, that's amazing. Because think about this, the average person in that audience, right, if they were Jews, they probably spoke Aramaic, right? They probably went to Hebrew school, and they lived in a Greco-Roman society and culture, so they probably had at least a base understanding of Greek. So just the regular person had three languages. What happens when you go to Asia? You probably picked up a couple more. What happens if you're in Africa? You probably pick up a couple more. What happens if you're in other parts of the Roman Empire? You probably pick up a couple more. So the fact that God is able to be heard in their native language is an amazing thing. And it's so amazing that I, I just think they're drunk, you know? And I always read this as a kid. Maybe it's because I was blessed to have drunks that lived in the block. I'm like, that's not what drunkenness looks like. Like, it's not really, like, intelligible. You know what I mean? Like, usually not, I don't understand you clearly when you're drunk, but that's just me, you know? But the thing I think is even more beautiful than hearing in your own language, for those of us who can't relate to that because we don't speak nine languages, is simply this. Our God is willing to meet you where you are. And those things that matter to your heart, they're not only gifted to you by God, he's able to meet you there too. Think about David. David was nothing more than what? A, a, a warrior, a king, and a shepherd. And in his greatest psalm, it dawns upon him that, oh my goodness, I think I protect and provide for my sheep, but my goodness, God is my shepherd. Oh my goodness, I think I'm a good king and I'm the best king ever, but my God is my king. Oh my goodness, I think I'm a great warrior who killed Goliath, but my God is the warrior who would chase me down until I'm captured by his love. So when we think about love language or we think about heart language, I think we can, I don't even think it's a stretch to say that it might not be you hearing God in your native tongue, but it might be you hearing God in your passion. It might be you hearing God in your gifts. It might be you hearing God with what he's blessed you with. It might be you hearing God in your story. It might be you hearing God in your experience. God will meet you there. And he will speak to you clearly there because he has work for you there. So whatever your gift or your passion, whatever your abilities are, whatever your story is, whatever your experience is, if you give those to God, he will meet you there, he will speak to you there, he will transform you there, and then he will what? Send you out. Send you out. That's Pentecost. It's us submitting to the Spirit and going back to our everyday scenes. Another thing that's fascinating about this is Luke also has in the background almost trying to say, remember Babel. Remember at Babel, they all had a common language and a common effort and a common desire to go up to heaven. And I think we make fun of Babel, but if we're honest, a lot of our Christianity looks like Babel, where we think it's all about me building up to go to heaven. But the church, when it's born, isn't Babel. It's actually an undoing of Babel, where God now says, no, instead of you building up, I will gather you like a mother hen from the ends of the earth. I will fill you up. And instead of going up to me, I'm going to send you where? Back into your world. 
So Babel, we wanted to go up, and God scattered us. Now God is gathering his chicks, gathering his people, building them up with the Spirit, and sending them back into the world. And I love that. So with Pentecost, we learned that on earth as it is in heaven, it's the essence of who we are. We also learned, though, I think, who our parents are as the church. I think our first parent is God the Father. And that one's easy for us to see. Because we learn at Pentecost that God so loved the world. That God desired all of the world to enter in. We learn that our God is this artist God that we're beautifully diverse. But even more beautiful together with the mosaic of colors and the mosaic of experiences and the mosaic of language and the mosaic of nations and the mosaic of people coming together. We learn that our God is the covenant God who's faithful. That the promise to Abraham, to Noah, to David is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Jesus' promise to us is fulfilled in the coming of the Holy Spirit. We learn that our God is a rescue God. That not only did he pull us out of Egypt, but he pulled us out of sin and death and destruction forever. We learn that God the Father sends Jesus for the world. And we learn that God who says my house should be a house of prayer for all the nations then calls you what? The temple in the New Testament. Which means that if you're the temple of God and the temple should be a house of prayer for all the nations, your faith needs to not be about you and yours. It needs to be about what God is doing in the world. You are now the house of prayer for all the nations. Good luck. It's okay. You got each other in the spirit. You'll be fine. But I think the last thing we learned from our Father is that on earth as it is in heaven, that's our work. But that's only one side of our parentage. Our lineage on Pentecost also comes from the Spirit. And what a blessing that is. It's a blessing because it's the Spirit that convicts us. It's the Spirit that transforms us. It's the Spirit that literally reveals who God is to us. It's the Spirit that gives us freedom from bondage, where if we're in a life of loneliness and suffering and destruction, it's the Spirit that sets us free and free indeed. But it's also the Spirit that empowers kingdom work. And I love that the Holy Spirit that David wanted to so much hold on to and say, please, God, don't take it from me. It's the same Holy Spirit that now lives in you. That not only is the Holy Spirit alive, but it's alive in you. And I think we miss that sometimes because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that now lives in us. Paul says it like this to the Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And it's incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. To the Romans, he says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. The Spirit isn't just alive, it's alive in you. And if it was powerful enough to raise Christ from the dead, it's powerful enough to help you conquer any darkness. It's powerful enough to bring us together no matter what division. And it's powerful enough to not only transform you, but to transform our world. And what transformation are we happening? Jesus, uh, Paul says this to the Corinthians, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate and reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit is alive. 
The Spirit is the same power to raise Jesus from the dead, but the Spirit also transforms you. So as we think about how to walk in light of Pentecost, I think it's just simply these things that we need to commit to doing. One, to live to tell what God has done in our lives. It's not just about what you know or what you've been gifted. It's how are you sharing it in your houses, in your neighborhoods, in your families, in your workplaces, in your everyday scenes. And it's not about having the picture-perfect presentation, but it's about telling the people how God has gifted and blessed you, telling what God has done for you. But I also think it's committing to prayer because prayer doesn't just change things. Prayer transforms us. Because when we learn to not only talk to God, but listen to God, we are not only empowered by the Spirit, but we're transformed into doing God's work. I think if we want to share this night of Pentecost, we have to commit to not only learning our faith, but passing it down. Passing it down to all those in our everyday scenes. But I think the last one is probably the most fun one for me. Is I think part of living in light of Pentecost is saying, how can we do life together? Because if faith is not just about me and God, what does it mean that it's about me, God, and my world? What does it mean that God sent Jesus not just for me, but for the world? What does it mean that God's gifted me not just for me, but for my world? What does it mean to live in light of Pentecost? Yes, but empowered by the Spirit also. I'd like to call Pastor Hannah and the worship team. We're going to close by singing a final song. And as we sing the song, I'd like to invite any pastors in the room to come up. We'd love to pray for you, whether you want to have something going on in life or you want to pray for something you heard in the service. We'd love to pray for you that as well. But as we sing, may we just hold on to this reality and this truth that Jesus has called all of us to on earth as it is in heaven. So your work now and your work today is asking God, how can I make this so? Let's stand and sing together. Aquí. 
blessing of God's Holy Spirit is that it's only um, a first, a foretaste of what is to come. It's only a down payment of all the blessings to come. But I pray this morning that we can start to look and view the Holy Spirit not only as for us, but for our world. That we can be reminded of the story where God gathers his people to send them out. That we can be reminded that God desires to use our gifts, our skills, our abilities, our history, our, our experiences, our stories, all of it to point the world to him. And my prayer for you, my prayer for us, is that all of us are not only submitting to the Spirit, keeping our eyes on Jesus and listening to the Father, but that all of us are going into our everyday scenes and living and loving like Jesus. Our Father and God, we thank you so much for the blessing of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Spirit confirms to us that you are God who fulfills promises. We thank you that the Spirit confirms to us what your love feels like, what it means to be safe in you, what it means to be led and, and given life by you. 
Lord, we thank you that the Spirit comes down so that heaven can be all around us, to help us to not just dream of heaven to come, but help us to live on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to not just dream of better days ahead on the other side, but to live to bring better days here today. So Lord, for those things that we're passionate about, we give them to you. For these things we've experienced, we give them to you. For these stories of our lives that you're writing, we give them to you. For God, if all of our lives is to be a witness to you, then we pray that how we live, how we love, how we think, how we pray, how we move, what we experience, we can give it all to you to be a witness for our world, that they may see us and glorify our Father in heaven, that they may see us and see Jesus Christ in the power of forgiveness of their sins, that they may see us and see the Holy Spirit transforming victorious power in our lives and in their lives as well. So Lord, we thank you now for the blessing, the honor, the privilege, the grace it is to partner with you in the Spirit to make on earth as it is in heaven. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen? God bless you all. Have a good week.